Welcome to the Brazilians Podcast, the official audio home of Risk2 Solution, where we talk all things risk management, leadership, and high performance. I'm your host, Joe Saunders, and today my guest is cybersecurity specialist, Sean Finn. Excited to be joined on the Brazilians podcast today by Mr. Sean Finn. He's on the board of advisors for the Cybertech Institute of Australia, CTIA, which is launching officially next week as of time of recording on the 7th of December. The CTIA is powered by Wawiwa out of Israel and launching programs to train, upskill and reskill people to work in highly sought after technology roles. So we are lowering the bar for for entry, at least, raising the bar for standards and lowering the bar for entry so that uh, anyone with the appropriate disposition uh, can enter into the technology field. It has been intimidating in the past, as uh, I will talk to Sean about, uh, but but doesn't need to be moving forward. So if you are listening to this podcast at the time that it is released, uh, you can still attend the official launch of CTIA. It's a hybrid event with a face-to-face event in Brisbane. Uh, and a virtual event everywhere else. And I will put the link to that event in the show notes. So if you're listening before the 7th of December 2021, please make sure you check out that link and attend if you can. It should be a great event. All right, without further ado, here we go with the interview with Mr. Sean Finn. I'm joined here on the Brazilians podcast with Sean Finn. Sean, thanks for joining us. Cool. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's a it's a real pleasure to uh, to start off again on the Brazilians podcast and to have you on with us, Sean. Uh, for those that, that don't know anything about you, can you give us a bit of a snapshot about uh, who you are, what you do, and and what you've done? Yeah, sure thing. So my name's Sean Finn. I'm uh, on the advisory board for the CTIA. I've got a oh, about 20, 30 years experience um, in uh, internet, data centers, hosting. Uh, I've worked in mining, uh, aviation, and tourism, uh, all, all on internet-facing websites. And I think I've been hacked hundreds and hundreds of times and uh, re- responded to hundreds of events. Uh, so yeah, good, good fun over the years. Yeah, I mean, that, that it's one of those areas, right? Be, being hacked, cybersecurity, infosec, I mean, it's, uh, if you're in the industry, it's a no-brainer. If you're not in the industry, it can all be a bit scary and a bit frightening. Uh, and uh, Certainly, I mean, I, my my background initially was in was in physical security, and a, a couple of years back, I looked into whether I'd reskill into infosec or cyber, and because all, all the good all the good money was going in those industries, <laughs> and uh, and all the good jobs required it, and I thought, do I do I re do I re reskill and and go into that field, and uh, and I looked at it, and I thought, man, by the time I finish a degree and actually get conversant. The, the technology will have moved on <laughs> and and uh like it's it's very it's like a full-time job just to stay current so uh kudos yeah, well, to you I for being able to do that you've got the fundamentals right so the fundamentals are translatable as, as long as you, you you've got your networking and you you, you can log in all, your, all of your different operating systems that they change a little bit over time but the fundamentals generally don't they they, they build and um but you cannot you can always base whatever the next thing is and there's always the next thing off those other fen- fundamentals you've already got. So it's uh, I, I, I've got the same fear as you. I, I sometimes feel that if, I, if I'm not on the tools or I'm too long off the tools, then I'm going to then I'm going to forget how to how to do things. Uh, and it's yeah, it's a real fear. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up about the concepts and some of the, so I guess, the low-hanging fruit or how to be conversant in that space and, and how to be you know, practically able to manage it. Uh, I know you also did the, the Graduate Certificate in Psychology of Risk, which which we share in our, in our uh, portfolios. And uh, I'm assuming that's probably where you first heard the, the concept of resilience from Dr. Gab. Would that be correct? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Uh, it's, it's a course that changed my life. Uh, I, I'm, I'm now conversing in many more ways than I was before, so I'm really glad I took it. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to know whenever I have a, a fellow graduate on the on the call or on the podcast, what were the things that sort of stood out to you? Like, what, you said it was life-changing. What were the things that uh, they gave you yeah. a different lens on, I guess? Look, I've got a background as a tech, and uh, the, the thing I didn't realise before taking the course is not everybody else sees the way sees things the way that I do. Like I've, I've got this mental model of everything that's going on. I can picture big complex systems and how they interrelate. And then when I talk to another human about it, it's like a blah, 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 blah. And they might not get it. And I think that's a, a, an experience I've recognized everywhere that um, you, you can't speak to somebody in your language. You've got to speak to somebody in their language. And that, that's the biggest, the biggest takeaway is just being able to understand all these different perspectives. Uh, and how they come together. So, like, definitely about risk, but also about uh, communication as, as a whole. Yeah, the communication piece has been so valuable for me. Uh, I mean, even now as a consultant, I mean, a lot of what I do is go into organisations and just take the knowledge that's already there and communicate it in a different way, and uh, and, and create that common operating language or that, that the common operating picture of what's actually going on, what needs to happen, and. Uh, sometimes within organisations, there's an immense amount of frustration from you know, from techs, from specialists that know how to solve problems and they just can't get buy-in or they can't get the funding or the resourcing they need because they just don't know how to communicate and they don't realise this is their shortcoming. They think people are ignorant, uh, but uh, yeah. but they don't know how to com how to communicate that to someone who doesn't come from their background and doesn't get what they get. Uh, so that's a, that's a really important piece, uh, and, and it's frustrating, right? So like, like frustration is the thing, thing thing that builds up. And uh, look, look I'm, I'm sure we've all got stories about a, a text saying, "Warning, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Why is no nobody listening? Bang, it happens." And why didn't you tell us this happened? Um, and that, maybe that's a good in, lead into resilience. Yeah. So so I mean, resilience. Yeah, like you, I first heard about it on the on the uh, grad set psychology at risk with, with Gavin. I, I immediately wrote it down and underlined it. I thought that's a great word. And then he told me it was already trademarked and I couldn't steal it. So I had to, I had to, I had to join the company instead. Uh, but um, the, the resilience is a, you know, obviously this is the resilience podcast, so we can, we can, we can talk freely about, about what it is, but, but what do you see that the value is uh, of understanding resilience or taking a resilient approach for the cyber IT infosec community? Yeah. Look, look, look to me, um, it's got to be practical. So I, I want I want to make my life easier and the, the life of the organisations that I work in easier. And and part of resilience uh, to me anyway, like like you, you're absolutely the expert, so please school me if I haven't got it quite right. But um, to me, resilience is knowing that things are going to go wrong um, and um, expecting them to go wrong. And it's not necessarily having a, a every perfect plan laid out before they go wrong but being able to take the blows as they come and have a method for dealing with uncertainty. So you like expect uncertainty, um, be okay with it. Um, practice as much of the, the the common stuff that you can before it goes wrong. Uh, so that there's like a, 
I, I like to think about it as like, let's say a technical server setup. If you've got lots and lots of single points of failure, as soon as something goes wrong, the whole thing's offline and people are screaming. Well, that's not being pre-zillion. So pre-zillion to me is expecting failure and at, at every every place, um, have like redundant things. Redundant's a good thing in, in IT. It's not a, not a bad thing. It means there's two of everything. So it means you've got a spare one. Um, and if one one doesn't behave properly, the other one's taking over. So to, to me, applied resilience is, uh, at least in like the server setting, um, getting everything set up and all the common things that you know are, are possibly going to go wrong at some point in time that are certain, uh, when they go wrong, you're now at risk of not being able to service your customers or your internal stakeholders, and then you can go about things in a calm fashion repairing them rather than everyone running around um, the world's on fire, putting the fire out. Um, no, one, no one wants to do that. Like maybe, maybe once or twice it's fun, but then after a long career in it, you don't want to be running around putting out fires. So to me, pre-zillience is expecting things to go wrong, figuring out um, what the most common things are that are going, going to go wrong, uh, have a plan in place. Uh, if you've got to re rehearse it, if, if it's a response plan, you, you rehearse it beforehand. If it's a, a technical failure, you, well, you already have things in place so that when something goes wrong, another technical thing takes over. And, and then that allows a certain calmness inside. So when when the world's, the sky's falling and every, everything's terrible, you go, it's okay. We already know what we've got to do. We're not making it up on the spot. You're not getting stressed out internally and you can go about it calmly and then get back to the status quo and then wait for the next event. So that's, that's what resilience is to me. Yeah, I like that. And uh, I think there's that piece of risk intelligence too. Of, of not everything requires 42 redundancies, right? So sometimes we're like, okay, we've, we've mitigated this as best as we need to, but our resources are better spent mitigating this other issue that will be more catastrophic. And I think sometimes speaking as myself, as, a, as an SME in, in, in different areas, Sometimes we have this uh, this tendency to weight everything equally, and go, but 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 you're vulnerable here, and that, but the organisation is going, you know what? If we have to pay a little bit of ransom, I'm not not I'm not going I'm not going I'm not, not, I'm not suggesting that, that I'm not yeah, suggesting that I'm not suggesting that part. But uh, but you know, from, from a uh, if you, if you're talking to a uh, for example a CFO uh, who might be looking at okay, what does this actually cost? Yeah, uh, what, what's the what's the cost of prevention versus the cost of recovery, and what's which the impact, is that right? Yeah, what's, what's the, the impact? impact? Right? Exactly so, right. so if, it's, if it's something you can, um, if, if you've got uh, meantime recovery that's really quick, you can go, oh, look, it's going to happen once a year. I can press a button, reboot, and everything's okay. You know, that, that's a really, really, really low impact. It, it, um, and depending on what that, what that impact is, det determines what resources you want to spend mitigating it. So yeah. and, and the risk intelligence is about that as well as understanding um, like what's likely to happen and what, what the impact of it is and uh, like really ranking, okay, where do I get the most bang for my buck in my efforts? So, like everybody's got limited limited time, limited capacity, there's limited people, even though we've got unlimited enthusiasm to solve all the world's problems, where is your effort best spent? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is, uh, again, it comes back to having that common operating language, isn't it, about about what's important to the, to the organization as a whole, as opposed to what's important to everybody's individual function, where everyone's got their own biases and their own heuristics and their own, their own preferences about how things should be done. Uh, yeah. It's important everyone's oh, look, on board. Even understanding um, that everybody's, like a stakeholders have different viewpoints, you know, it, it might not be apparent uh, or, um, People coming to things, yeah, with biases, you say, and their their own their own ways of um, 
wanting to listen or not wanting to listen. Some people are open, some people aren't. And uh, like, uh, I, I like the uh, the ethical dilemma. Um, if, if it's good for you, good for me, good for us, and good for the greater good, then I've got to use my my powers of understanding other people's bias biases to. I'm not going to use the word manipulate. It's not manipulate, but it's absolutely ethical to steer them into the to at least open their eyes and make a conscious decision rather than being um, subservient to their own biases. Uh, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. I actually uh, just had this conversation with a class I was teaching last week about uh, uh, the the idea of influence, whether influencing someone is ethical or not. And I said, well, do you, the, for the parents yeah. in the room, do you influence your kids to eat vegetables? I mean, they, they, they wouldn't do it of their own volition, uh, but you use yeah. different influence and, and levers and uh, persuasions and, and, and threats of punishment and so on because you know it's in their best interest. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the answer is it depends, right? So, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, so, interested in your thoughts, having been in the industry for quite a while, what do you see are the, the changes on the horizon or what do you think are the biggest risks that uh, that organisations should be paying paying attention to right now? Look, I think uh, organisations, well, some organisations at the, at the cutting edge understand um, that they need to start paying more attention to cyber. Um, so there's, there's a few few phases that I see. This, this is my, this isn't anybody else's view of the world. This is Sean's view of the world. Um, organisations beforehand, uh, as, as they grow up in the digital world, have an opinion of, hey, if it's not broken, broken don't fix it. It's been running forever. Um, you know, like don't change anything, it'll be fine. That, that's not enough in the cyber world. Like uh, once you're in a connected world and everything's connected, uh, the power to change your own systems is outside your managerial control or, or your will. Other outside externalities um, are constantly knocking at the door of your systems trying to, to change their state. Um, you have no control over it, whether you like it or not once it's connected. Uh, so, so that, that that's number one. Um, you've got to understand it's going to change whether you like it or not. And then the question becomes, how do you respond to that change? Are you going to knowingly respond to that change, or are you going to go into it with your eyes uh, wide open or, or or closed? So, I think the answer everyone wants is, yeah, okay, well, I want to know what's going on, right? Um, so, in order to go into it with eyes wide open, you've got to be able to see the entire environment, what's happening. And what it's current, like what it's current, what's your posture? What's your current state? Um, where are your vulnerabilities? Where um, are your resources best spent shoring up those vulnerabilities so that you can keep operating in a business? So, so number one, wrapping that all together is number one, know your current state. And that's really hard. So for people who aren't cyber-brained uh, and, and don't have this vernacular, um, understanding techies can sometimes be really, really, really hard to get to the meat of it because techies generally see the world through a techie view. Um, bean counters see, see it through a um, through a financial view. Hey, to, to merge the two, really, really hard. So, um, getting that yeah common operating language together so you can, you can have those conversations. And step one is understand the security posture of your system, whatever it is, whether it's your business systems or your IT systems, doesn't matter. Where are you vulnerable to uh, delays, supply chain security? There's hundreds of different vulnerability areas. I couldn't probably cover them all in this podcast. Um, to, to do that, you apply frameworks. There's lots of different frameworks depending on what industry area you're operating in. And that, that gives you basically a, a checklist of, okay, here's 100 things or, well, eight things or 32 things or 100 things or 1,000 things that you need to go and check through. 
and uh, determine the posture of your system. And it'll say, have you got this? Yes. Have you got that? No. Have you got that? No. And and that'll allow you to see, um, you know, what your current state is. And 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 once you get that, you've got a plan. You've got you've got an executable plan that you can burn down, throw resources at, and get those marks on the dashboard going green, green, green all the way through. And it's not something that happens overnight. And um, it you've got to start somewhere. And the goal is to get more mature as time goes on, increasing maturity, increasing maturity, increasing maturity. The goal is never to be perfect, but it is to be excellent. So it's it's to uh, perfect is the enemy of good. Be good first. Don't don't go mm. straight for the whole green thing. So. Uh, once you see that, it can be quite quite scary. Um, you can see here's a thousand things. Oh wow, you know you get the feeling in the pit of your stomach. I never knew that our organisation was so open to what, what whatever's going on. Um, that's a natural feeling. That's one of your biases at play, right? That, that, that's that's fear, just raw, raw and simple fear. But if you've got that list, and um, the the next thing is, how do you find the humans to uh, that understand what all of these different segments are because they, they, they're quite extensive and depending on what you want to do, you, you don't just go get a generic IT person. Um, you, you need the fundamental skills of an IT person, but there's there's a big difference between if you're operating in a uh, industrial manufacturing contact context versus a telecommunications context where context where it's all mobile phones and internet and all networking, or a um, or an internet facing website context. They're all different sets of skills. And they do share a lot of fundamentals. There are a lot of fundamental skills there, and that goes back to what we said at the beginning of the podcast. If you've got the fundamentals, you can pivot into those different areas and 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 work on them and adapt as necessary. Um, yeah. I'll come well, up for you there. So, well, so that's what I say, yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I think to your point, I mean, you can be a generalist and at least know when you need to reach out for help, like when you need a specialist to come and look at something. Uh, just having that, that, that simple level of, uh, I guess, familiarity with the concept uh, can be can be very powerful. What role do you see uh, CS needing to play with uh, with education? And you know, I was interviewing a, a guy named Rick Shaw recently, and he, he's a threat assessment or threat manager from the US. And he, he had a great quote. He said, we always patch our systems, but we never patch our people. Like, how, how do we? Oh, wow. Yeah. I love that line. I stole it immediately. Rick, that's mine now. Uh, but um, you patch great. the system, but how do you patch your people? How do you stop your people from doing the things that get us in trouble? I, I need a catchphrase like that. So um, so I, I want to tear it apart for a sec because I like, like doing this. So um, patching your systems. Why do we patch systems? Okay. So we patch systems because out in the wild, there are vulnerabilities that are known that if you're running this latest version of Windows, every month you've got Patch Tuesday come out in the US. And you've got zero day vulnerabilities. So on that day, the clock starts ticking. The whole world knows this is how you break into Windows. So immediately, if you don't patch, uh, there's a blueprint there for somebody how to get in your system. That's why you need to patch every single month. And that, that's that's one of the most basic things. Um, People-wise, uh, so all right, so this is a good one. I'm a, I'm a techie, right? I'm only learning people. So so people-wise, let's apply the same same logic to people. So once you know people are vulnerable in a particular different way, or or, or have a gap that that needs filling, um, should we should we be like upskilling them? Um, should we be saying, hey, okay, here's the new thing you need to learn this month. Download the information, go do a few hours with the training or whatever it is, and keep up to date. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, generally, the thing is, you know, go go to uni and uh, learn some stuff and do maybe a few training courses here and there. 
and and then the rest is up to you to self-learn in your own time. Um, but there, there's no continual trickle of maintaining that currency. And and yeah, that goes back to what you said at the beginning is once you've learned it, where's that, you know, how do you maintain? Great, great quote. That's yeah. very, uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I'll try to give credit to him for as long as I can, but I've more or less stolen it now. Uh, what about just for uh, educating like the regular workforce that might be, uh, you know, the, we always talk about the cliches of writing the system passwords on the post-it note on their monitor and uh, there's always that, well, make sure you change your password every month, but then some, some organisations are made every week and then people just can't remember their passwords, so they write them down everywhere. Like, where, where's that sweet spot? I mean, I know we're just talking about passwords, but where's the sweet spot for educating general, your run-of-the-mill employees about their cybersecurity obligations? Wow, look, look, so so reminding people uh, of, of what, what the basics are, we don't give your passwords out to somebody on the street, but I think um, you've got to scale here, trust and control. So what, what you're saying is educating, educate your people so you trust them to do what, you, what you've told them to do. But over, over time, people forget that. So to, to balance it out, you've got to have controls in place. So I'll use a password example. Passwords are no longer cool. Um, you, you want multi-factor authentication. Like the number one biggest thing you can do for your internal users to make sure that they're actually them is have multi-factor. And what does multi-factor mean? It means um, something I have and something I know. So it's two different things. So I know my password, although sometimes I forget it, but I know my password and I have my badge. So together, that's that's your credential to get in. So um, if you're writing down your password and you lose your password, another bad actor can get into the system, right? So if, if you if you combine something in knowledge space plus physical space, it makes it a lot harder. They've got to get that person's badge or find that person's badge some, somewhere. So you have these um, extra mitigating things that layer layered security on top of one another to mean that um, like you don't have to trust your employees as much. Not that trust is a bad thing. It's not about trusting or not trusting. It's that you don't have to operate in an area of trust because you've got those controls in place. Once you've got those controls in place as well, um, it's it's better for your employees as well because you or your staff or whoever you're working with, right? Because um, you're giving them a safety net so that they don't have to think about that and worry about all of these things and juggle all these things. They can just concentrate on if I've got access to it, I'm meant to have access to it, and I can do the things I need to do to get my job done. The rest of everything else disappears. You don't want to be remembering ten passwords and five different secret knocks and all, all the rest. You just want to get on with stuff. So that's yeah, my thoughts on that. Well said, well said. Uh, just to, to bring us home, uh, one of the priorities of CTIA, Cybertech Institute of Australia, has been to, to enable uh, people to change careers and get into cyber, get, in, get into InfoSec uh, without those barriers that I mentioned to the way at the beginning where I felt like it, the only way in was to go do a bachelor's and like uh, I, was fighting, I was fighting uphill because I didn't grow up doing coding and, and like it just felt like there was so much I was expected as a starting point and, uh, and, and that can be pretty intimidating. I mean, I was only in my early 30s when I was looking at it, uh, let alone if I was trying to change careers in my 40s or 50s and, uh, and, and it might seem a bit overwhelming to try and uh, learn a whole new language as it were. Uh, yeah. Do you, what advice do you have for people that that may be looking to either expand their skill set, or maybe they're looking for to completely change industries uh, because of yeah you know, current events? Uh, do you have any advice for people that are new to the sector? Yeah, look, look, absolutely. There are so many different areas that you, and different ways you can go, and they're all in desperate need of um, people leaning in with, with their the skills that they already bring to 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 fill those roles that. Um, 
uh, there's there's room for everybody of all, every different type of discipline. But whether you're extremely people oriented or a little bit people oriented, uh, there's room for both. So I'll give a couple of examples. So um, like really quickly, with with the explosive growth of organisations understanding that they they need need to secure their their cyber frontage and all of their vulnerabilities. Um, more and more areas are being uncovered in those giant big lists that I was talking about earlier that 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 need that work done. And there's there's some very um, I, I won't say basic, but there's some very um, uh, fundamental frontline things that you can you can be doing. Like they, they, there's people needed everywhere to look at what's going on and view logs and and report on things. People are very much part of the equation, and if you if you don't have the width of people being able to fill all of these different niches, you're not going to get full coverage. So um, the the courses that CTIA offer give you those fundamentals on on all of the different levels to understand what's happening and be conversant and talk the languages to to the techs to understand what's going on and also being able to advocate for the greater business in all different areas. And I've seen some of the courses that, that we've got on uh, C CTIA and some of the sub-disciplines there, it is ex extensive and comprehensive. So if you're coming into it from another, another any other discipline, or if, even if you haven't uh, gone through for, like higher education before, uh, there, there's something for everybody in there. Yeah, it's, it's a great encouragement. I mean, no one wants to be the, uh, the old man yelling at the cloud, you know, thinking the internet's a fad and it's all going to blow over. I mean, at some point, if you're involved in risk, you're involved in security, you're involved in in protecting anything, you are going to have to be at least conversant in the language. Uh, and and I think up until now, uh, we haven't really seen a lot of ways of of making that easy. It's been kind of a traumatic transition for a few people. <laughs> if they if they uh, if they didn't grow up with the right hobbies and the right friends and the and the right environments, but. I think we're we're starting to get to a point where we can bridge that gap and make it a, a lot more feasible and uh, and a lot more uh, welcoming for people. So uh, it's, oh, yeah. I, I'm very excited about what, what's possible there. I, I think that there's only one fundamental skill that you've got to bring is you, 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 you've got to care about securing systems. If, if you've got a passion for it, then yeah, it'll open, it'll open doors. Yeah, well said. All right, Sean, well, that I think is a, is a nice point to close us off on. Uh, I want to thank you very much for being so generous with your time and uh, and and aligning our schedules to make this happen. And uh, I encourage everyone to check out CTIA, Cybertech Institute of Australia, uh, for any uh, cyber learning needs you may have. Thank you once again, Mr. Sean Finn. Thank you once again to Sean Finn for a very interesting conversation. If you'd like to learn more about the Cybertech Institute of Australia or attend the event, I will put the links in the show notes. If you'd like to learn more about Presilience, go to presilience.info or our education components at presilience.edu.au. And if you'd like to engage the Risk 2 Solution Group, you can find us at www.risk2solution.com. Number two, solution, risk2solution .com.